Well, I guess we tell the authorities that it's time to get going so they can push the right button. But let's, uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. We'd ask that you would be continuing in your great mercies to your people. For hundreds of years now, Lord, you've blessed those who have believed. We'd ask that we, in our belief, would receive those blessings as well. In your Son's name, amen. We're in Luke, Gospel of St. Luke, um, chapter 4. Now, I like Luke. Luke is sort of my go-to gospel because Luke is not one of the disciples. Luke is a Greek, a medical man. And I like his, you might say, more Greco-Roman writing style, if you want to think of it in those terms. He's always telling you what year it was and who was in charge of this place and who was in charge of that place. Um, and there are certain things that are, you might say, unique to Luke, passages that are not in the other Gospels, this being one of them. This is happening right after the Lord returns from the temptation. On a, by Satan in the wilderness. Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And a report concerning him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and went into the synagogue, as his custom was, on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, that's out of Isaiah 61, first, the first verses of Isaiah 61. And Christ claims, immediately having read it, and he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now you can imagine, look, look back at that Isaiah passage. Good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That could cover everything. I mean, that's just sort of generally good to the downtrodden, basically, you think of that? The poor, the afflicted, the captives, the blind. Because on one hand, people will think practical, if Jesus was not a SJW to begin with, here he is declaring <coughs> SJW principles. But there's something going on in this passage 
because you're going to want to know where this goes someplace. He's in his hometown, Nazareth, and uh, did the scripture reading. If you ever have the chance to, Roy did it this morning. Uh, I don't want anybody reading something out of Isaiah and claiming that you are the fulfillment of it. But it's very much like our moment here, a synagogue where we're listening to locals stand up, people who have been here their whole lives stand up and read the scriptures. Christ has done that. But he lands on a rather portentous passage. Everybody's watching him. He sits down. The, the drama is, is right on it. And then he says, this is fulfilled today. And initially, verse 22, they all spoke well of him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? This is almost a Norman Rockwell painting of, you know, seminarian comes home, makes a good impression on the home church, reading a passage of scripture and saying something seemingly poignant and everybody going, wow, what a, what a guy, what a guy. Now, just to just let you know, it goes sideways. It doesn't turn out well for Jesus. So first thing we might want to do is look back at that thing in Isaiah. That's Isaiah 61. If you have a Bible, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the part Christ quoted. And the day of vengeance of our God, which he stopped before he said that. <coughs> he has been set aside to do these things. Preach, proclaim, heal, give liberty to, declare the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, How is this done? Because Jesus, let's, let's be frank, I mean, he did heal some blind people. But it really isn't about fixing the problems in this world. Because problems in this world are only problems in that they are crises for you emotionally. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a crisis situation? No money to pay your bills. Um, bad relationship situation. And whatever the, whatever the circumstance. But, but you felt like you were walking in heaven. Because, not because the circumstance wasn't bad, but the bad circumstance didn't matter. Now, I, I, up at the top of the left-hand side, I have a passage out of Mark 1. Um, same time frame right after the, uh, uh, the temptation, and it sort of outlines what Jesus' ministry was in Galilee. Now, after John was arrested, 
Jesus came into Galilee. Okay, that's a Luke situation. Preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. Oh, yeah, the, account, the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah. And look at his message. Repent and believe the gospel. So when Mark tidies up this quotation from Isaiah, when, when, when Mark tidies up the, the, the quotation from Isaiah into a claim of what Jesus Christ was preaching as his message in that point of time immediately after the temptation, it's repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe the gospel. It says that a number of places in the gospels. That was their message. That was John the Baptist's message. That was Christ's message. So when he reads that of Isaiah, that's an example of this. If we go look back at Isaiah, the next few verses. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. It's a different task once you read the passage. He says, this day, this prophecy is fulfilled. So what Isaiah was talking about, Christ is expecting to be, have the passage looked at, what is going to come to them, and it's all things of, no, it doesn't fix the world. This is not utopia. This is not, oh, we'll make it all go away and everybody will have a guaranteed national, you know, what is it called, income. Everyone will have a car that's at no more than two years old. Everyone will have, you know, you could promise people things all day long, and Christ is not in that business. One, he doesn't live to fix the things in this world. He's, he is God. Okay, I don't know if you remember that. He is God on earth, standing in the cosmos he made, that he had called into existence out of nothing just a few thousand years earlier, and now he's standing on it. And as the planets swing through space, Jesus is probably the only one who feels it moving like that. Hair flowing in the breeze as he hurdles through the cosmos. He could fix it all. You wouldn't have to get the orthodonture because Jesus would fix your teeth. And you wouldn't have to pay anything because you don't want to have fixed teeth and a bill. There's all sorts of problems. You know, the really good-looking girl at school, she would like you. <laughs> only, only if God intervened and made her like you. By promising her orthodonture, she. It was, God is not here to do this. God has the power. He's not going to do it. God can make you not get sick and die. God can make your Aunt Betty not get sick and die. We pray for people every week who are getting sick to death. And we're walking through it with them in prayer, but we know that our God could heal them. We ask him to do so, but... He is under no obligation to do so. He is about something else. 
repent, and believe the gospel. One of the problems with thinking about utopias is we all want one. I was talking to somebody a couple nights ago. Who was it? It's a positive story, so I can mention their name. Uh, Laura Beth Landis. And she was relating how she, uh, when she was young, 10 years old or so, always wanted to be queen of a town so she could, at any, once a year, wander through everybody's house and see what it was like and tell them what they had had to do, of course, because she was queen. She realized what a tyrant she had become, but she really wanted everybody's house to be pleasing to her. You know when you plan your utopias? You didn't plan it for me, did you? You didn't even think of me, did you? I don't want a jacuzzi. I don't want whatever it is, the silly things you do with your free time. I don't want any of that. But you're not thinking of me, are you? You're thinking of you in your utopia. That's the problem when we see a list of things that the Lord has come to do and we all get a little eager. Even when you think it's an unwise, even when you think it's an unwise um, act that your government is going to send you a check for $1,200. You kind of start spending that check in your mind already. Well, if they're going to send it to me, I mean, might as well spend it on something. You know, I don't know, a jacuzzi and not invite Evan over. We naturally, when we hear positive things coming to us from God, we think they will come to us kind of because we're us. We're the good guys. We're the people that God wants to bless because, you know, God is here to bless you. The acceptable year of the Lord had arrived in Christ because, oh, why was Christ there to begin with? To die for your sins. Not your mistakes. Not to leverage you out of a difficult situation that because you were born in a, a different household, didn't have the white privilege, God was going to bail you out. No, he died because you were damned eternally because of your behavior. In other words, God wanted to not forgive you. We talked about that passage a few weeks ago. And you're, you're on your knees because of the grace of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, begging God to look at Jesus Christ and forgive you for your sins. It's because you're evil. Not because you're a little lost lamb that didn't get enough good stuff, and so God is here to produce good news, release, sight, and liberty to all the people that kind of the little lost lambs. No. We're, rebellion, we're in rebellion against the living God. This is coming at us in a way that 
exposes that we really don't want the thing God would like to give us and on the terms God would give it to us. It's going to make, it's going to comfort us. It will give us gladness, if you look at the Isaiah passage. It'll bring about the praise of God. That's why we sing hymns, is because we praise our God for what good things he has done. And righteousness, I like that phrase, the oak of righteousness, the oaks of righteousness. That's, that's the right tree for righteousness. It looks like righteousness. To glorify God, something else, because when I put this all together, what it says in Isaiah, what he said in Nazareth in the synagogue, and what Mark says his message there in Galilee had been, repent and believe the gospel. If you repent, tells you what the problem is. If belief in the gospel is the answer, it tells you what the answer is going to be like. It's not going to be like we are here as Christians to fix all that's wrong in the world. You, you, you had a bad enough time making your own bed. You got, you got a bad enough time keeping your own apartment or house in order. You got a bad enough time just trying to stay in agreement with your spouse, let alone, let alone solve talking to a guy Saturday whose kids wanted to go to the psalm saying he said when, you're, when your room looks like you've taken care of what's your obligations then you can think about running the city you know you, you're really no place to be running the city you can't run your own room there's a content that the gospel has that people who are looking at life as a negotiated set of rewards that if only I if only if only better things happened to me I would be a better person if I had enough money if I was better looking if I lost about I don't know 50 pounds 75 pounds because that's how much overweight I am You'd like me more, right? 75 pounds. And, I, and wealthy and charming. Maybe if I Grecian formula in the hair. Make me look young again. Except for my face. We think we can fix the things. I know what to fix. We don't know what to fix because we, we just think that because you are not, we, that we each are not rewarded enough, we're not made happy enough by the circumstance. And God is looking at you and saying, the reason this is the case is because you have made me unhappy with your circumstance. Not that you're unhappy because things aren't going well. God is unhappy because you're not doing well. That's why it's repent and believe the gospel. Because, look at this, look at what happens. This is what drew this out of this passage. You say, well, Evan, you could twist any passage to do this. Uh, well, maybe, maybe not. And he said to them, verse 23, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here also in your own country. Capernaum 
is in Galilee as well as Nazareth. And, and Capernaum's on the north shore of Galilee, uh, and Nazareth is on the inland south, southwest uh, of Galilee. You know, far enough walk away. But he's been touring Galilee after his temptation, teaching in the synagogues, and he probably did some things. He doesn't mention what. And the people in his hometown, because what is that, what is turned up when it's a hometown boy? When it's the favorite son? When you're, when you're the quarterback for the winning Super Bowl team and you're from Wook, Iowa, and he's from Wook, Iowa. And so you go to Wook, Iowa County Fair Days and the championship quarterback of the whatevers is coming home. Now, some people just like to meet somebody famous. Other people, there's a collect aspect. You, you, one of the things that you get when you're a hometown connection, and the Lord is pointing this out. He's saying, doubtless you will say, why don't you do some good things here? Why don't you make some miracles here? We heard what you did at Capernaum. This is your hometown. How much more? Shouldn't you be more interested in your own people? Jesus? And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. You got a little saying, physician heal yourself. I have a little saying, a prophet is not accepted in his own country. Now what are we going to do? We got competing platitudes, completing epigrams that say something, something else. Well, he seems to agree with the one he quotes, the one he refers to as being true. A prophet is not acceptable in his own country. And it's not because if the prophet did exactly what people wanted, if you show up and you're the quarterback from the Super Bowl winning team and you've got a photo you know, you're signing photos and you're handing out Super Bowl coins and everybody gets a prize in your small town and everybody gets a picture taken with you. And that kind of profit is not a, unacceptable. That's, that's, he, he bought his way into your concerns. Because we're always thinking of us getting what we want when we meet a Messiah, a prophet, a famous person, a lot of us are trying to collect something for us. Christ says, you know, prophets are not acceptable in his own country. Now, I don't know if he said the word prophet intentionally. The problem with prophets is they say things. You almost don't want to have a prophet friend in your life it tells you to earnestly desire that you might prophesy, and I recommend that you do so. But don't hang out with me. I'd rather not hear the truth about tomorrow. If I'm eating, you know, a breakfast with you at the breakfast club, I don't want you leaning over and saying, you'll be dead tomorrow. That sort of ruins the day. The breakfast turns to ashes in my mouth. Prophets tell you 
if they're prophets, the truth. Kind of in a judgy sort of way. Do you ever have prophets show up, false prophets, prophets show up in Israel going, you know, everybody's doing great. We're really pleased how righteous everyone is. Thank you very much, the word from the Lord. No, it's never that. There's no book in the Old Testament going, great job, guys. See you next generation. There's no prophet has that job. Prophets are not acceptable in their own country because here's where the problem occurs is the home country expects more benefit from the connection and the connection they get is even more pronouncedly painful. And Christ reminds them of it. Verse 25, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when there came a great famine over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. How to make friends that influence people was never written by Jesus Christ. Who, is the, who wrote that? Dale Carnegie? Not Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to believe that I have come to, declaim, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It's what God is, my message is what's going to bring that about in your lives. Um, and he knows, the he knows how to read the room. He doesn't know how to make friends. Okay. He knows how to read the room. He knows what they're thinking. He said, doubtlessly you're going to say, why don't you do some miracles here, Jesus, so we can get some of the goodies that miraculous wonder workers do. And I would say, I know too much about who you are. You can't stand the prophetic message fulfilled in your hearing out of Isaiah. to repent and believe the gospel. And since I know that, and I'm going to just jump ahead of this argument, I'm not even going to bother have this turn into an argument, I will argue both sides. I'll accuse you of thinking, wanting X. I'll tell you is why. And then I'll give you arguments to sustain what I just said to a bunch of Jews who are a little dicey about this. Okay? The whole Gentile thing, they did not like that. You bump into a Gentile on the street, you got to go home and you got to be cleansed. I mean, they were talking racism at the worst, in the worst form. Because not only were they naturally racist, because people are naturally racist, but God had told them they were special. Do you think if you were in a family of almost oh, 10 kids, and you were uh, kind of the uh, pretty and intelligent daughter. And your dad told you one day that you were his favorite because you were pretty and intelligent. 
you cash that in. Life is hell for the rest of us kids because you were told by the authorities that you were special. The Jews were told by the authorities, God himself, they were special, elect. The purposes of God were going to be played out. God was going to be their God. And so part of their sin, because they were sinners, part of their sin was how they thought of everyone else. Now what I want you to think about, because we're not Jews, and so we don't have this bad attitude toward Gentiles, because we're all pretty much Gentiles. Christ tells them two situations where Gentiles in the Old Testament got the Lord's mercies and the Jews did not. The Gentiles got the Lord's mercies and the Jews did not. It's amazing. These were, these were people marveling at Jesus Christ. Wow. How well-spoken he is. He's so charming. And he's saying such interesting things about the scriptures. But as soon as you get to sin and righteousness, the admission that you need to repent and believe the gospel, people are a little bit off-put. What if you found out, I don't know, what's the worst possible enemy of your ideas in life, you know. I don't know, you're, most of you are probably conservatives, it's probably safe, I don't know if any of you are liberal, just go along with me. Um, say God just bless Nancy Pelosi like nobody's business. What, what fresh hell is this? I mean, what? this isn't right, she's my enemy. They could, they, they, just like you couldn't process God being gracious to Nancy Pelosi, they, the Jews, could not process God being, even he quoted it out of the Old Testament. Remember the passage? I have the references here. You can look them up. 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings 5. Situations where God was showing mercy to the Gentiles who are unclean. When they heard this, verse 28, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. He just dropped it. Dropped the. This is the prophetic moment. This is why prophets are not acceptable in their own country because their own country expects far more benefit when you're from there. You're supposed to give them, your thumb's supposed to be on the scale in their favor. You're supposed to, if you're a miracle worker, the miracle should be for your good. Everybody should win the lottery in your town. And what does he do? He said, no, no, this is why prophets aren't acceptable in their own country because because their assumption that it's about them and their gain is proof that they're not ready to repent and believe. When it's about you, when you're trying to fix your life with how good it turned out to be for you, if I can just get make another 10 grand a year, if I can just get this kind of car, if I can just get this girlfriend, if I can just whatever it is. If you're measuring your life by what you get, not knowing that no matter what you have in this life, you can be comforted, glad, praising God, righteous, 
and glorify him because you stand in his presence humbly for your sins and he came to fulfill this prophecy that would give you these things in spite of what happened. You gotta be caring about God, not about you. The hometown people care about themselves in a unique way. It sort of triggers that in them. You're from there. And he says this and just pokes this with a stick, a sharp stick. So, you know, uh, you know, God likes certain Gentiles more than you. Beep. The whole synagogue. This is not everybody in the bar. This is not the hippies down by City Hall not liking you. It's everybody in this room not liking you. Because this is the synagogue. At what point, if we, are, if we are all humbling ourselves before God to repent and believe, the prophet is acceptable. Because we know this about ourselves. We know that we just are trying to get ourselves ahead in order to feel like that we won in life. And God says, no, you need to bow the knee to me to get ahead in life, to get the things that I want you to have and the good things that you will get. The good news to the poor is not that you got a check in the mail. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And not just filled with wrath. They rose up and put him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down headlong. This is one of those attempts, if you don't read the scriptures closely, you don't realize they tried to kill Jesus a number of times. Because of righteousness didn't match what people thought their gains in life. They could use righteousness to get gains, be religious people, notable for their religion, wear their phylacteries long. They could have all the things that they might want, but when it came down to business about righteousness, and here is the prophet from their hometown, not saying what they want him to say, they try to kill him. This is, most ancient cities had acropolises, basically. Any high point would do where they build the city up on a high point. And I guess there was one at Nazareth that was high enough and had an edge to it. And they dragged him out from the synagogue, dragged him to the edge of town, and were going to throw him off the cliff. I like this phrase. But passing through the midst of them, he went away. You know, it's kind of one of those riotous moments in every kind. Who had Jesus? Who, who, somehow he just walks through the crowd and walks away. But that's how badly they wanted to take care of this. This is a, this is a crisis of morality and a crisis of um, what we knowing what the Christian faith is about. We need to have an awareness that we are uh, very quickly and very completely able to turn on Jesus Christ or someone who asks us to repent. I was talking to Roy during the break and that we were talking about counseling situations and how easy, how absolutely easy it is when you're dealing with relationship counseling 
for the other person to be talking about the person not present and everything wrong that they need to repent of. And how incensed they get when you say, no, your sins, your repentance, you're here. Nobody wants to talk about their sins. Anyone who wants to talk about their repentance? Because the world would be a better place if everybody did it your way. Remember, if you're the hometown people, you want things to turn out for you. We have that hidden in so many subtle places in our lives that we can't accept that humility, falling on your knees before God and saying, Lord, I have sinned. That's what's wonderful, say, about David's uh, uh, being caught out by Nathan the prophet. When he's, when he's grabbed in that moment, he just, he just said, I, I did it. You know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the man. I'm the guy that sinned. This is the crisis that Christ brings in his message, his prophetic message, his fulfillment of it. This is the acceptable day of the Lord. The God himself dying for your sins, offering you forgiveness if you call upon him for the forgiveness of sins. We have to get to that place where we are not the thing and that our enrichment and our um, benefit will make us the happy people we want to be. Let's become the happy people he wants us to be by us being submissive to him. Let us close in prayer. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Thank you. In your son's name, amen.